Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. A reminder that you can subscribe to the show by clicking on the subscribe via email button on the left-hand side of your screen. And then every time I upload a new show, you'll be notified in your inbox. And before we begin, uh, just one more little bit of admin, and that's to let you know that we are soon going to be having our own YouTube channel, and uh, I'll be uploading shows to YouTube as well as through um, this website. So that's another way that you can listen to this uh, fantabulous show. Now, I'm sitting uh, with a great friend of mine, a fellow mining investor. Uh, He appeared on the show uh, a couple of months ago, and the title of his show was A Mining Cynic Speaks. He is, of course, John Wollstonecroft. John, hello, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. And um, today we're going to be discussing um, how a mining company, which apparently looks like it's on a PE of one, can quickly take itself onto a PE of 100. So I suppose um, before we go through the process of how a mining company devalues itself, um, I should say that, John, you've been investing in junior mining companies for, what, 12 or 13 years? Uh, probably since around 2002, 2003. And uh, I imagine that you've made good money on some and lost good money on others? Yes, unfortunately I've made more than I've lost, but um, uh, history could have been different. Yeah, absolutely. And the I think what happens to anyone who invests in these companies is, is that initially when you first get into it you just think these are amazingly exciting companies and I'm going to earn a fortune but over time um, you do become cynical. I think that's true and I think um, the industry itself uh, has to take some responsibility for the initial enthusiasm that new investors uh, sometimes exhibit because these companies do need to raise money and they do need to promote their story. They're not saying, well, this is a company, if you want to invest in us, fair enough. If you don't, we don't really care. We're just here to sort of spread a bit of investor information around. They actually actively need to support the share price and get investors into the company. And so they tell very convincing stories with very large numbers. And often people will um, try and sell their company on the basis, for example, of the value of the gold in the ground, which can, even for a small junior worth a few million dollars, could easily be hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. And of course, gold in the ground uh, is also known as dirt. It's, it's getting it out <laughs> and um, getting it out and, and mining it and turning it into real tangible uh, metal that, that uh, is what miners should be doing. Absolutely. Bill Reed is fond of saying not all ounces are created equal. Ab- absolutely, yes. And, and sometimes uh, the, the small companies just don't have the strength. They have fantastic assets, but if you have an asset that needs $2 billion, for example, to get into production, it's way beyond the capability of any small company to raise that sort of money. And therefore, in their hands, those assets aren't actually worth very much unless a major will come along and, and do a deal. And majors often don't come along and, and do deals. And, and often... It's very, very rare that they do come along y- and do deals. Yes, and of course, 
with sort of selective memory, we remember all the companies that did do deals and not all the ones that still are sitting on assets 10 years later waiting for the, uh, the, the phone call. Uh, yeah. from, from from a Rio or a, or a BHP to say yes, we'd like we'd like to buy into your asset. That that is actually quite a rare occurrence, um, and is becoming more rare, I think, as companies go for larger and larger mines. And uh, a lot of these sort of smaller deposits, there's no real option except to go into into production. Which I suppose is what we're thinking about talking about today. Is how would a how would a junior company, seemingly on a fantastic valuation, get into production? And what does the valuation look like? 12, 24 months later. Okay, before we, we go through this uh, uh, self-destructive process, <laughs> this self-destructive cycle of mining, do you want to give a bit, bit, bit of background about your two, the two big... Yes, the, the reason why I sort of like telling this story is um, it's sort of absolutely true because I've made, uh, I've made many sort of large calls on individual companies uh, in the past 10 years or so, but my biggest ever call was an, in a company called Silvercorp. And in fact, I think uh, Cathy Fong, who was the president of Silvercorp, might have been on your first ever show back in 2007. I think it was like second or third, yeah. yeah. And, and she was absolutely brilliant. And what a brilliant salesman and what a thorough thinker and everything else. Yes, uh, uh, and, and that, that company did very, very well. And now I'd met Cathy probably a year or two before, uh, before that show when uh, she was the president of... Well, she was, she, she was actually at the time that did the show, but she was the president of Silvercorp. Uh, it was a junior company, assets in China, with an amazing story that was too good to be true. They they had fantastic grades. Uh, they had contractors that would uh, build adits, which are horizontal tr- uh, tunnels into the side of a mountain. They, they'd dig those out for free as long as they could keep the waste material because the silver grades and lead and zinc were so high uh, when they were doing exploratory uh, tunneling that, that the contractors didn't want paying. They'd just come along and do everything for free. Um, extremely high grades they did a, a, a 43101 and proved up several million ounces of silver very low capex to get into production it was a fantastic story of course then it was in china and nobody believed her when she went around to tell these stories uh, but then um, about two years later a lot of it had actually come true so a stock that was trading at one dollar twenty to one fifty rapidly rose to around twenty dollars as this story materialized and the, the main reason why I invested in this stock is it really did seem to be on a forward PE of one. That is, if you look at the market capitalization of the company, which if I remember was around $50 million, a year later, when they were in production, it would, it would appear to be throwing off, miners love this throwing off term, throwing off cash yeah. of $50 million a year, $50 million market capitalization, $50 million a year in cash flow, fantastic, PE of one, what a bargain. Well, I invested in it. The stock did rise dramatically. Uh, I put a quarter of my net, net worth into this one company, which in hindsight was a ridiculously uh, foolhardy thing to do, but it paid off. And I, I was very, I'm very pleased that it paid off. And, and obviously since then, that money that came out of Silvercorp after tax, which was a significant amount in those days, the days of 40% tax, went into other companies. And uh, I, I've done well on those. But after Silvercorp, I was looking for my next big story. Yeah. And I found another company, South China Resources, listed on AIM, uh, that, that seemed to be almost an analogue of Silvercorp. They were mining for molybdenum, not silver, lead and zinc. 
but there were so many features in, in, in common with Silvercorp in the sense they had contractors working for free as long as they could keep the waste. They'd build tunnels into the side of the mountain. It was very um, narrow vein, but extremely high grade molybdenum, almost pure um, molybdenum sulfide. Very low capex to get into production, just a few million dollars. They thought they could get into production in a year. The, the story, there were so many parallels. And I remember posting on a bulletin board 12 parallels between Silvercorp and South China Resources. And so the amount of money I'd originally invested in South China Resources before it, eight, nine, ten bagged, whatever. I, in I, Silvercorp, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, Silvercorp. I put into South China Resources. And it all seemed to be going well for a few months. And then the news releases stopped. And it seemed to be getting... Uh, a bit suspicious about why the directors weren't releasing news and it then turned out that yes there were these veins but there, were, there wasn't enough uh, of, of the molybdenum sulphide to turn it into a viable mine and the stock went from 7p to something about 27p and I think I probably sold my last shares I've got 5,000 left uh, I sold my last shares at 1 or 2p uh, and so that was a big loss for me and now um that was also on a forward PE of one. So yeah. here we have two stories, both apparently on a forward price earnings ratio of one. One did very well. One basically went bust. As it happens, neither would have ever been on a PE of one, even if all that good news jam tomorrow had actually materialised for reasons that we'll go into. And sometimes I sort of, I'm sort of maybe you know lying in the bath at night and I think, goodness gracious, if I'd invested in South China resources first rather than Silvercorp. I'd have put a quarter of my net worth into a company that went bust. And I would probably have given up and walked away and uh, I'd have my portfolio in a, in a unit trust now. Um, yeah, isn't that interesting? And I think there are plenty of people who did put their money into the equivalent of South China Resources before they had their silver corp, who now never want to touch junior exploration, junior resource stocks of any kind. And that's why you have this awful kind of... Boom bust cycle, if you like, in in the in the junior resource sector. I, I think that's right. I think the the, the investors that you meet at uh, investor meetings or when there are management presentations, they're the ones that have survived, so to speak, or had 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 the good hits. And the ones that don't tend not to turn up anymore because either they've become very disillusioned or they've run out of capital or, or both. And as an aside, I did actually know. I mean, think how much money got lost last year. And think how much I, I, money I, I, got lost in 2008. But, but, but not, well. not, just, not just in the big crashes. I, I remember in, in um, uh, I can't remember, it was 2006 perhaps or maybe 2007, before, before what we considered to be the sort of great financial crisis, um, uh, someone I knew investing in oil stocks, in junior oil stocks, and he made half a million pounds in around five months spread betting on oil stocks. Uh, he, he was leveraged three to one, um, but... As the prices went up, he'd put all that profit back into to, to getting more and more exposure into oil stocks. Uh, a three-to-one leverage, he probably had one and a half million pounds of ex- exposure, half a million pounds mm-hmm. essentially of profit on a three-to-one leverage ratio. And then oil stocks corrected. We go through corrections very severely, very dramatically. Gold yesterday down 5%. It's not a shock if you've been around yeah. in this market for 10 years. And you, you read the Financial Times or you read... King World News the next day, and you know the wisest people say, "Well, this is what the, this market is like." You know, the market ticks up slowly and then drops dramatically, and then ticks up slowly and drops dramatically. It's happened time and time and time again. Correction in all stocks. That one and a half million exposure fell by a third. 
so your half a million capital disappeared. And so the person I knew went from being an employee, working as a software engineer, to retiring in January, to retiring in May with half a million of capital. And by December, uh, he'd lost all that money and he was back working as a software engineer. I know exactly who that was. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, there we go. Nice guy as well. Yes, very nice. Often mistaken for a policeman. He was. He'd go on on the tube and people would always think he was a policeman, although he never was. Um, anyway, um, uh, so let's let's go through this cycle of how, yes. a, how a mine. This is how a mining company goes from a, how a junior mining company goes from a potential PE of one to a PE of a hundred. Right. So here we go. You're reading a bulletin board one day, and somebody says, "I found this fantastic company. There's a uh, hundred million uh, shares out, and uh, it's going to be producing a hundred thousand ounces a year at a cash cost of five hundred dollars an ounce. And let's assume to make the math simple." Uh, gold is $1,500. So it's going to be making $1,000 uh, profit an ounce. Uh, 100,000 uh, ounces times $1,000 is $100 million. So we have um, 100 million shares out, $100 million profit. Um, let's say the share price is currently $1 a share or £1 a share. It doesn't really matter. I'll use dollars because yeah. there are many more... Um, uh, companies on, on the Canadian exchanges the, the, the name, which is perhaps another issue to talk about. Um, and therefore, $100 million market cap, $100 million profit, P of 1, pile in, fill your boots, fantastic story. This, this is what I did with Silvercorp. This yes. was a story at Silvercorp, and this is what I did. Uh, and it's all looking very good for, for, for a few weeks. And then um, the people that have piled in um, suddenly start hearing about... Um, somebody needs to they need to raise some capital to build this mine they've done the feasibility study and it's all all there and everything and they can go into production but they actually need to raise 200 million dollars to build this mine and people say oh don't worry most of that will be debt well of course most of it will be debt but they'll still have to raise maybe a third um, in capital and a third to two-thirds ratio or 30 70 these are these are pretty good ratios when you're trying to go into production that the the um that the banks that are financing often want to see a capital raise as well. Um, and so uh, the market gets whispers of a, uh, a need to raise capital, and so the share price starts drifting back. People are selling out in order to, to, to buy in a bit later. The share price falls to uh, 66 cents. It's fallen by a third, not uncommon at all. Uh, we probably all remember Shanta Gold last year that did one of these financings and halved in value in, in a few months. So falling by a third isn't particularly... Uh, terrible drop. Uh, these are very volatile stocks. And then they have to raise $66 million, $0.66. Cents. Uh, that's another 100 million shares they have to raise. Bad news, we've now got 200 million shares out, but everything else has stayed the same. So, okay, they're not on a P of 1, they're on a P of 2. It's still pretty good. It's yeah. fantastic. Uh, some companies are on a P of 20. Um, but what <laughs> we also forgot was there were some warrants when this when this capital raise occurred. Uh, very commonly in Canada, but also in the UK, Criso or Criso Resources, as some people call it, uh, did some fundraisings in the last few years and, and they issued warrants. And it turns out, as well as the 66 million shares, there were 33 million warrants. 66 million uh, uh, fundraising, um, there, were, there were 33 million warrants also issued. Yeah. And uh, the company need some working capital before they go into production because the money they're raising is the money to actually build the mine mm-hmm. and between now and starting the mine build there's all sorts of stuff they have to do and they're doing some more drilling and proving up some more resources so that 33 million sort of goes pretty quickly so we've now got 233 million shares out everything else stayed the same so it's a, a PE of 2.33 
uh, and then they start building the mine everything's going absolutely fantastically and then uh, it suddenly turns out that the mine is going to cost a little bit more to build than everyone anticipated and even though bankable feasibility studies have the name bankable in or a lot of people use the word bankable very very commonly they don't actually uh, end up costing what it says in that massive document it ends up costing more because historically there's been very high price inflation uh, in the industry yeah and the oil so price goes up oil price goes up the price of zinc and steel and other things go up and it turns out they need to raise another um, 33 million dollars which isn't much of an overrun on a 200 million dollar mine i've not known one mine to go into production on budget so there we go, another $33 million, but the market's really getting quite pessimistic now, and, and, and it's fallen to $0.50 cents a share. So that's another 66 million shares that have to be issued. Uh, and now we have 300 million shares in issue. Everything else stayed the same. It's all looking good. This is definitely the last fundraising before we go into production. It's a P of three, but who cares about that? Because miners are on a P of 25. We all know that. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, and then uh, someone downloads a presentation from the website and there's something about this 25% free carry on the mine owned by the government. Now, <laughs> this happens a lot. It happens much more uh, than, than, than people really realise. It might not be the government, it might be a minority partner, but often in the small print you'll find a company saying we're going to produce so many thousand ounces. We actually produce those ounces, but we don't own all those ounces. We're the producer, but we're not the owner of all of them. Um, Oxus was a, a famous example from the very early days. It did very well. It went from about 10p to 70p. It's probably about a penny now, um, unfortunately. And Oxus only had half the mine. They had to build everything and take all the risk, and they only yeah. had around 50% of the mine. So it's not 100,000 ounces. It's actually 75,000 ounces because the government gets a quarter. Don't worry about that. 300 million shares out, 75,000 ounces. It's a P of four. Still pretty good. Mines yeah. are on a P of 20. And then you look into the small print even more, uh, and it turns out the government has also got a 2% uh, net smelter or 2% uh, royalty on the mine, yeah. not smelter, 2% royalty on the mine. And there's some bloke with a beard and glasses somewhere that found the mine in the first place, sold it for a, a pittance years ago, and he's got 2% as well. He's got a 2% royalty on the mine. And that means instead of getting $1,500, uh, when we sell uh, the gold, we're only going to get 1440 because the government's taking a couple of percent yeah. and this original bearded prospector uh, is getting a couple of percent. All prospectors have beards. And I, I should have just said prospector then. It's superfluous information. <laughs> so it's still looking pretty good. We've got 300 million shares out, 75,000 ounces, only a few percent of this royalty. But that makes the PE 4.26. Uh, and then uh, somebody reads the report uh, the annual report and uh, it turns out some of the directors have got some options from years ago that no one thought that they'd, they'd ever be sort of exercising but now it seems like we're going into production turns out there's another 30 million options they can exercise and of course all the money that comes from that exercise goes straight into working capital requirements uh, and so there's actually 330 million shares out um, uh, and not 300 million shares so the PE has risen from 4.2 to 4.6 um, and then we come to the dirty little secret of the mining industry, uh, which is sustaining capex. It's very, very rare in any presentation for a, uh, a mining director to say our cash costs are this and our sustaining capex is that. Now, sustaining capex is what you need to do on a capital basis to keep the mine running year in, year out. The initial capex is what you need to do to get into production. 
So you might do some pre-stripping to get rid of all the dirt on top. You might build some tunnels or whatever. But then once you're in production, you need to build some more tunnels or you need to do some more stripping. Um, and everyone, everyone has sustaining capex. And I was once talking to what is currently a darling uh, listed on AIM and, and in Australia that has very, very low cash costs. I was talking to the um, one of the directors of this company and they, they were claiming they can, they can get gold out of the ground for about $200. And I said, oh, fantastic, amazing margins. What's your sustaining capex? He said, oh, I think we can do everything else for another $200. <laughs> um, now, I don't want to say who that company is because it was an offhand remark and it, I didn't get it from the, from the accounts. But that $200 cash cost could, could double, could go to $400 mm-hmm. because all the extra things they need to do to keep that mine running um, year in, year out. Let's say we've got $150 sustaining um, uh, CapEx here. So instead of uh, us spending $500 to get an ounce out of the ground, we're now actually spending 650 330 million shares in issue, everything else stays the same, PE 5.5, still a fantastic bargain, all the bulletin boards are saying. Now, of course, uh, mine is a, is a depleting asset. We've got to think about exploration and drilling, uh, this is only a small company. It's only doing 100,000 ounces a year. And I think it's fair to say that um, $4 million a year in exploration uh, of, of greenfill targets yeah. around the mine site and maybe four, $4 million of uh, infill drilling or drilling close to the pit or whatever they've got. That's, yeah. that's, that's and that pretty, extension that they've always been talking about. Yeah, the, the, that, that on-strike yeah. extension yeah. they've always been talking about. <laughs> um, four million plus $4 million for exploration and drilling, th- those are not big, big numbers no. for a small miner. Uh, as an example, uh, uh, Petro Pavlos last year, I think, spent $80 million. It is a $1.5 billion uh, company, but they spent $80, billion, $80 million uh, on exploration uh, uh, to prove up new assets. Yeah, I mean, I once said this to Bill Reed, who I've already quoted. Uh, you know, Bill Reed has uh, built six or seven mines in yes. his life, and, you know, Goro is one of the stories, Gold Resource Corporation is one of the stories that did actually do what yeah. he was going to say, more or less, although he came in over budget. But one of the things you ask Bill is you say, what's your exploration budget? And he says, I have no budget for exploration. It costs as much as he co- it costs. Yes. He, won't, he won't put a cap on it because he knows how important it is. But very importantly, when he first presented his company, he said, we're going to um, mine, make money. A third's going to go on tax. A third's going to go yeah. into exploration development. And a third's coming back to the shareholders. And by and large, he's keeping to that promise. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very rare that any mining executive talks about returning anything anything to the shareholders yeah. at all. Anyway, we need to do some drilling. Oh, that's another $8 million a year. So the profits were sort of around $60 million before, which got 330 million uh, shares out. At a dollar, the dollar buy-in price, that was a P of five. Because we're spending $8, $8 million, the P is now sort of six and a half. And then, of course, we've got to run the office. Uh, this, all these costs we're talking about, these are the costs in the field. Yeah. Getting stuff out of the ground. Office in the city. There's the office in the city. There's all those, uh, 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 there's the nomad, all those advisors. There's the uh, people. Conferences, hotels, lunches. Yeah, $3 million a year. I mean, if you can do all that for $3 million a year, you're a very astute and careful spender of of money. So we're putting in $3 million a year for G&A. So that brings the PE down to seven. Um, And then we, we, uh, just before we go into production, we, we get some bad news that it's not going to be a $100,000 ounce a year mine. Uh, well, it will be in, in a few years' time, but there's actually a ramp-up period. Um, and, uh, of course, the directors have been talking about 100,000 ounces a year because that's what it will be doing in a few years. But actually, it's going to be 67,000 67, ounces a year, 10% off for the first year. Uh, I read a, a presentation last year that looked at all the bankable feasibility studies over a period of two or three years and what they were predicting and what... 
um, they actually mined. And the, uh, the rain, the variance was from minus 50%, that's mining half of what the bankable feasibility study, which might run into hundreds of pages, yeah. said, to plus 100%. So it's no, by no means bad news, yeah. but often the, uh, there is a ramp up or it doesn't quite work out. Uh, the only certainty in, in this business is you're not actually going to mine what you expect. You'll either mine more or you'll mine less. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes miners will, will even that out by having stockpiles and blending mm. grades and things like that. Uh, so there is this ramp, ramp up, um, but the bankable feasibility gave us a, a sort of false sense of security, and it's going to be sort of ten percent less and sixty-seven thousand ounces a year. So our PE is actually um, actually moved up now um, to, to to nine, which, which yeah, is still pretty good value because all these, of course, all the gold miners are on a PE of twenty, so it's still half the price of everything else. Uh, but no one. It's, it's, it's a double. It's a double. It's a double. It's a double. That's 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 what that's what they'll be. Te- that's what the director will be telling you in the bar after his presentation when he's had a bit too much to drink, and he doesn't think anyone's going to remember. It's a double. Um, but of course, if we mine less, our fixed costs are going to increase because we're not mining a hundred thousand now. We're mining ninety thousand or eighty-eight thousand. Uh, a mine, a huge amounts of fixed cost. Running a mill is a fixed cost. Uh, putting stuff through the mill, uh, Norseman Gold is a famous example of this on, on the A market, they could put twice as much stuff through their mill and their, their costs would, would barely rise at all. Their cash costs would actually halve because they're putting twice as much mm-hmm. through. Or if you put half as much through, your, your cash costs double. Yeah. So, in fact, the cash costs have risen from 750 to 865. Now, uh, we, we went from 500 to 650 on the sustaining capex. Um, and we've also got a bit of cost inflation um, which which sort of shocked people a bit. Ten percent cost inflation is not dramatic; happens every year. And now um, we've, we're actually mining less material than we thought because of this ramp up. So our costs are now up to eight six five. Anyway, PE of twelve. Maybe it's not a double, yeah. but there's still definitely uh, the upside here. Um, <laughs> and, and now we come to the biggest mistake that that uh, maybe I'm being generous by calling it a mistake. We've not been talking about PE. We've been talking about cash flow. PE is something different because the, the earnings of a company is the cash flow minus things like debt servicing, mm-hmm. minus tax, lots of other things, depreciation. So when people say this company is on a PE of, of one or a PE of five, very often they just look at the operational cash flow of the mine, which is how much that mine is throwing off, and say, well, that's, that's the profits for the whole company. But of course, there's tax to pay, um, and that uh, they've maybe got taken debt on. If we remember, we, we, we raised 200 million for this, so we've got 100, 130 million debt that we've got to service, and that's going to going to reduce our, our income every year. We're actually already down to around 30 million dollars a year of, of, of revenue from our original 100 million, and the number of shares has gone up from a from 100 million to 330 million. We're on a PE of 12, and now we're getting to an area that. Where, where suddenly every extra cost really magnifies this PE ratio. Uh, instead of going from, say, 5 to 6, if there's a bit of cost inflation, or 6 to 8 because we're doing a ramp-up, when we include, uh, say, $10 million a year of debt repayment and $10 million a year of interest, the $30 million our mine is generating, suddenly $20 million of that is disappearing to pay the, 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 the people uh, to whom we owe money. So that $30 million is suddenly dropping by 20. And from uh, a PE or a cash flow multiple of 12, we go up to 40, just like that, just by taking into account debt repayments. And a lot of companies have a lot of debt 
And companies need to raise debt because they want to minimise dilution of their share capital. So debt does make sense, but it does affect very dramatically the actual profits that a company can generate. So we've gone from 27 million of free cash being thrown off after we've paid the debt off and after we've serviced the debt, we're down to 7 million. It's not very much at all. Um, and then the government comes along and says, uh, oh, gold's going up. Uh, we're, we're doing a royalty hike. A ro royalty hike. Let's say it's just 1%. So our royalties go up a little bit and that makes the PE takes another million dollars a year off our, our, our earnings. So we're down to six and a half million dollars now. And then the mine goes into production and the directors feel very smug and self-satisfied. And We've put this mine into production. Yes, we've been there for 17 years doing this and we're going to give ourselves a huge pay hike. And they decide to give themselves another one and a half million dollars a year. Five directors is only a few hundred thousand dollars each. A lot of AIM directors get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars anyway. Uh, so that takes another one and a half million dollars over the cash we're generating. So we've only got five million free cash coming out of the company now. Uh, and it also turns out some more options were slipped in to uh, to tie some key management in to stop them leaving during this critical process of building the mine. Yeah. And there's another 20 million options that are being exercised. Talent we wouldn't have been able to replace. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so um, there's a few more shares out. We're making we're only making five million dollars a year now on a PE of 65. When there's a 20 million more shares out, we're on a PE of 69. Uh, and then we've got tax. And of course, if you make profits, five million, doesn't matter what you make, you pay tax. Now, this may be slightly unfair from going from a PE of 69 to a PE of 107, which is what the sort of Excel spreadsheet we've been talking through uh, would show, uh, because often there's tax holidays or, or, or um, low tax rates to encourage the initial investment. But in the long term, if we make five million dollars, we'll probably be paying about a third, thirty-five percent saving tax. Would you? Would, would wouldn't it be corporation tax is what twenty-two percent or something in the UK? But different countries ah, have different okay, rates, okay, okay, so okay, it's okay, pretty yeah. common in uh, lots of developing countries. We're not talking about a mine. In, so even um, if the company's listed here, they would pay tax, and the, they would pay. Yes, because the company listed on AIM would be if, if they've structured it properly. There'd be a company listed on AIM which has a owns a company yeah, listed yeah, in yeah. the BVI, yeah, yeah, for yeah. example, which then owns the. Yeah. A company listed in Ghana, uh, a company domiciled in Ghana, yeah. and that Ghana company makes the money and yeah. pays tax in Ghana, and yeah. then the money yeah. is repatriated. So you'll be paying around thirty to forty percent tax, and that brings your profits down from five million to three point two million. So we've got three hundred and fifty million shares out. We're making three point <laughs> two million dollars uh, a year. If the share price was still at a dollar, yeah, you'd be on a PE of, of around a hundred. Now, of course, the share price won't be a dollar. And I think uh, uh, Bob Hoy mentioned in, a, in an interview uh, with you that often uh, explorers to producers, they go from around $4 to $1. Yeah. Uh, and that would bring this PE ratio down from 107 to 25, which is possibly about the right sort of ratio that you might have had in the recent past. And of course, all the way through this, everyone's been saying, you know, the big producers are on PEs of 20, so this is a bargain. But they're not anymore. Barrick is on a PE of around 10. Um, and the cash flow generation of Barrick puts it on a cash flow multiple of around five or six. Now, Barrick has cash costs of around 350, including sustaining CapEx 450. Whatever people thought about Barrick in the past, it's not a, not a fantastic growth company, but it's a genuine, relatively low debt, relatively high margin gold mining company that happens to be the biggest mining company, gold mining company in the world. And it's on a PE of around 10 with a cash flow multiple of five. So if you're thinking of investing in one of these juniors, it's got to be better value than Barrick. Uh, and when you include all this dilution 
obviously this company isn't going to be on a on a value of a dollar or even 50 cents or even 25 cents it's going to be lower than that in order to compensate for the execution yeah. risk and the, and, and the small smaller company risk so uh there we go from from a pe of, of one one to a hundred now there are a few extra um points to make as as we've gone through this yeah. of course if gold goes up then everyone forgets about all these terrible dilutions and mm -hmm. director's options and salary hikes and royalty increases and tax and things like that. If gold goes up from, say, $1,500 to $1,800, we're back on a P of 12 because we've expanded our margin. And this has saved a huge number of the juniors in, in, in recent yeah. years. They have actually materially underperformed in terms of corporate activity. Yeah. They've had to dilute. They've overrun budgets. Mm -hmm. Their costs have increased. They're not mining what they said. But they've been saved by the gold price. And the gold price often introduces huge leverage into these smaller companies. From 1,500 to 1,800 mm -hmm. is a PE of from 100 back down to 12, which is maybe a, a reasonable PE. But, of course, it works the other way. When, these mine, when, when the gold price drops by $300, yeah. they're not making money and they, and they, and they basically yeah. go bust. Um, so all these, all these junior mining companies, junior producers, late-stage development plays... You know, that $1,500 mark in gold, that $1,500, which I kind of think might be the floor in gold. That's, but that's the real kind of um, divide into whether these companies sink or swim. For a lot of them, it all depends what the, what the cash costs are. And this is why the market, I think justifiably, gives a lot of uh, uh, credence to very low cash costs. Because if you have cash costs of, say, 1000 which a lot of the Australian miners yeah. do, um, all those bulk tonnage ones yeah sort of low grade bulk tonnage very high which uh, is a sector they, that's been really doing really badly yeah the, the, the Australian miners yeah. haven't really gone anywhere for, for a few years so the Aussie dollar is very strong they're so sensitive to, to the gold price that they're just living on the edge the whole time yeah. uh, and that's why if you can find a miner with cash costs of two or three hundred it's obviously a fantasy to think they'll be throwing off fifteen hundred dollars profit mm. Because when you bring everything else in, yeah. they'll be throwing off 500. Yeah. But throwing off 500 is better than throwing off of, of, of zero. Yeah. Um, so low cash cost does actually mean a lot. But then Barrick, cash costs in the three, 300, low 400 mm -hmm. range. If you find a miner with low cash costs, it's not as though it's the only one in the world. The biggest gold mine in the world has very low cash costs. So how do you... What do you... Um you know, as an investor, what do you do? Do you buy Barrick? Do you, do you still speculate in juniors? I mean, I know you play the junior game less than you used to. A, a, a lot less, yes. Um, I, I think there's value in the seniors at the moment. You can also um, invest in, in, in gold if you believe gold is going to rise, uh, maybe putting some, some option value on, on some of the miners. Um, it's quite possible that there's a whole group of miners that if gold goes from, say, 1800 to 2100, they won't really be making much more money because they've got very high, very low cash costs anyway. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're just making another ten percent. While some of those high cost Australian yeah. miners will be quadrupling profits. Yeah, and, and, and the South Africans be, as well. And, yeah, and, and there may be a little bubble in those. But I think the thing to remember is these are are plays. They're not. It's not retirement money. You're mm. actually playing. You're making a call on on the gold price. You're investing in a particular sort of junior miner that's very leveraged to the gold price or is very low cash cost or whatever, depending on your risk profile, or is going to double production. Because when, when, you, go when you go through this process, you've got to think, how much more dilution is there? How much sovereign risk mm -hmm. is there? You know, is the government going to increase taxes or is the government going to steal the mine? Um, 
are the costs are the GNA costs going to increase? Are they going to suddenly double or quadruple exploration and drilling costs? Is this a really long life yeah. mine? In which case maybe they don't need to do so much exploration and drilling, or is it only the last four years? In which case they'll actually be spending a huge amount of money to find that next mine because in four years' time they're going to go under. So I think you have to look at all the parameters that can cause this PE ratio, this cash flow ratio to fall from one to a hundred and look at your investment to think, well, how is it going to be affected by these? And what is my macro call? And therefore, where does this sort of fit in my, in my approach to risk and what I think the world at large will be doing and what returns this miner will be doing in those scenarios? Well, I I think John, what you've said, it gives us a big explanation as to why, why so many companies in this sector are such dogs and indeed why the sector in general is so depressed in relative terms? Well, I, I think perhaps there are enough people around now who've been through several mini-cycles. Yeah. Maybe we're still in a commodities bull, but we've seen the pullbacks and we've seen the sensitivity to a, a, an annual pullback of, say, three or $400 in the gold price yeah. and what they can actually do to a lot of these smaller miners and the fact that they don't have strong balance sheets, mm-hmm. they're very exposed to the availability of debt, and if, that, if debt isn't available, then they have to dilute. And when they dilute, the valuations become become crazy. I mean, just as an example, taking this mine, this fictitious mine we've been talking about, let's say they went out to sell this mine now, producing, say, 100,000 uh, ounces a year, making 30 million cash flow, 40 million cash flow. They might only get 150 to 200 million for it. But they spent 200 million building it. Yeah. And that means that um, that junior before it actually started building the mine, which is what I alluded to in the previous chat we had, it was worthless because they spent 200 million building something that was worth 165. Yeah. Now, a house, a house developer wouldn't do that. If they said, I can buy this plot of land and build a house and it's going to cost me a million, and, but I can buy a house for 750, I just won't bother entering the, the house building market because yeah. there's no margin in it. And I think that's maybe another way of looking at these companies is look at what they'll be worth when everything's rosy and they're in production multiply that cash flow by four and be a bit pessimistic and all the things that go wrong because most of them do go wrong and uh, and just look how much dilution how much equity they have to raise um and 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 that's another benchmark that you can use to, to, to value a mine um but i think just one more comment we have actually been grossly unfair to most junior miners out there because to be realistic, most of them don't even get to the first stage of what we've been talking about. Most of them never get to that bankable feasibility study. It's all jam tomorrow, promises tomorrow. They never get to the stage where they have to raise capital to build a mine because they never manage to delineate an economic resource. So what we've been talking about, in a way, are the elite of the the junior mining industry, those that actually get to that magical uh, bankable feasibility study. That's the top 10%. The bottom 90% get nowhere and end up being lifestyle companies, perhaps for a few of the directors who continually dilute, continually raise money. Uh, but of course, there are people that play that game, that take the private placements, take the warrants, wait for a bit of a bubble, sell the shares, keep the warrant. You know, there's yeah. all, all this space. There are games to be played in all this space. But maybe as a some, somewhat seasoned investor now, and I like to think of myself as an investor rather than a game player, possibly you've got to accept that they are games. And if you're going to invest for capital growth and a yield and some certainty for your SIP or your retirement, this junior market is a very, very dicey place where you can make lots of money but also lose lots of money. Well, very good. On that note, John, thank you very much. You have to turn this into a presentation because it's absolutely brilliant. And uh, 
And can you give me the spreadsheet or a, or a kind of write-up, and I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll attach it to the to the interview uh, so that people can have a look at it. I'll, I'll do I'll do a short write-up, maybe as a, a presentation to go yeah. through these. I think it's uh, the eighteen stages of ruin uh, from <laughs> from uh, uh, you know fantastic riches to being perhaps the most overvalued gold miner in yeah. the market. I think um, I might uh, call it. I might call it. I might do the show that the eighteen stages of junior miner ruin. And, but, uh, uh, no problem, yes. Very good. And John, if, uh, do you want to give out an email address or anything if people want to find you, or would you rather remain hidden I'd, and anonymous? I'd rather remain anonymous. I mean, I do go to all the sort of presentations in London. I'm sure if people want to find me, they, they'll be able to. Hopefully no executives of junior mining companies, though. <laughs> very good. Well, John Wollstonecroft, it's been a real pleasure, and thank you very much. Thank you. Just cars consume a shite Government spending all through the night Pensions and healthcare and welfare rights Education wars to fight Ooh, love a good war to fight Run up a deficit, ignore the facts Blame someone else, put up tax, tax. I can't deny we had a crack But now we gotta pay it back You know what you are Dead bomb, dead bomb, you're a dead bomb. Uh-huh. The addiction to credit just goes on and on. Give it to dead me. bomb, dead bomb, you're a dead bomb. A bailout, ooh, you turn me on. You know what you're doing to me, don't you? <laughs> I know you do. If you can't afford it, don't be ill at ease. No, spend it anyway. Voters to appease. Take the prudent savers and just give them a squeeze. Ow. That's the economics of keens. One more time now. Quantitative easing, zero interest rates. Steal from the future, hide the bad mistakes. We gotta keep those asset prices high. high. Don't matter if the credit's dry. <laughs> dead bomb, dead bomb. You're a dead bomb. Uh-huh. Try to pay the with inflation, dead bomb, dead bomb, yeah. you're a dead bomb. Now investment, ooh, you turn me on. <laughs> a boom caused by excess credit will always bust. Yeah. You've then got two choices, decide you must. Abandon the addiction, the credit lust. Or the currency collapses, it just turns to worthless dust. Yeah. Dead bomb, dead bomb, you're a dead bomb. The country's money, anything to carry on. Dead bomb, dead bomb, you're a dead bomb. Bubbles, ooh, you turn me on. <laughs> oh, I love that credit.